G'day everybody. Now fasten your seatbelts because I was told I was doing uh, the other readings, so here we go, right? <laughs> when the people saw that, I'm sorry, Exodus 32, 1 to 14. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who's brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an order in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favour of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring his people to the disaster he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. So the second reading is on the front side of your handout, Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. 
Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. At one particular high school, there was a science teacher who was very anti-Christian. So much so that when he became aware that there was a young woman in one of his classes who was a very strong and bold Christian, he decided one day that the experiment would really be an opportunity to pick on her and her God. And so he held up an egg and he said to this young woman in front of the whole class, Let's see if your God is real. Let's do an experiment and prove whether he's true or not. I'm going to drop this egg and you pray to your God. And if, if your God can stop it from smashing when it hits on the ground, well, then we'll all know that he's real. Well, the young woman quite boldly says, oh, I'll pray. And this is what she prayed. Lord God, when the egg lands, may my teacher fall down dead. The teacher carefully put the egg on the uh, table and said, let's begin class. (laughs) Having faith in prayer is vitally important, but it's hard to have that faith and that confidence if we don't know how it works. If we don't have a clear understanding, we're going to struggle. We're going to have the struggle to have the confidence to pray what we need to pray. And we're going to have that struggle to have the conviction to be praying. It's really important that we know the answer to that question because it can lead to questions like, well, does prayer change God's mind? Does it change anything? And often at that point in time, we're left with thinking, well, if it doesn't, then it must be pointless. But if it does change God's mind and his plans, well, then... Hang on, does that mean God doesn't have a plan about everything, that everything isn't in his hands and can just be changed at a moment's notice? And when we're left sort of feeling the the uncertainty of that question and those answers, or non-answers, then we're left thinking, well, maybe prayer just changes us. It just helps us to feel good or to think about God and just kind of have this awareness um, But there's a real problem there because you don't actually need God for that at all. He doesn't even need to be real. Or we can just be left thinking, or or the reality then is that God just says pray, but it's really just pretend. It's not actually doing anything. It's not changing lives. That's why it's so important that we have the answer to the question of how does prayer work And I hope we're going to see from God's word today this answer. How does prayer work? Well, it's because God chooses to use our prayers in bringing about his purposes. It's God's choice. And he chooses to use our prayers to bring about his eternal purposes. 
Now, we only have so much time today to dig into this, and so I really want to highly recommend a particular book to you that you can explore this topic more. It's a book by Don Carson, uh, who might be familiar to you as a lecturer, a teacher, and a writer, uh, a Christian, and uh, he has a book called A Call to Spiritual Reformation, uh, Praying with Paul, that I can't recommend to you highly enough had a huge impact on my, my prayer life, let alone his chapter 9 that deals with this particular question. So we're going to pray that we would hear God speak to us as we think about prayer and how it works this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, deepen our relationship with you through prayer today and make us a church of prayer. So we can be a church that's alive with Christ and see others made alive with Christ. As we hear you speak to us, open our minds to your word, unite our will with yours and strengthen our faith in prayer today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We're going to look at the different parts of that answer, that, that statement of God chooses to use our prayers to bring about his purposes. But as we do, I thought it would be really helpful for us to be aware that, in a sense, we're going to start with the head. How do we understand the answer? That's really important. We'll spend a bit of our, a chunk of our time on that. But it's not just meant to be an intellectual exercise. We're then going to think about the heart. What is the significance of this answer and how God is choosing to use our purposes, our prayers for his purposes? And then finally, we're going to move to our hands. And what are we going to do? Well, how will we pray from here? So, beginning with the head. God's choice. God is choosing to use our prayers because God is sovereign. When we talk about, and when the Bible talks about God is sovereign, it's saying he is in control of all and he has planned all things. As we read in Psalm 103 verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. You see that? Heaven and earth. There is not a single place in the galaxies that God does not rule. He is sovereign. But Ephesians helps us to see just how personal that is in the lives of every single person. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. When he speaks about, Paul writes to the Ephesians there about what it is to be a, a Christian. It says, in him we were also chosen, being, or having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Everything is worked out in conformity with the purpose of his will. He's sovereign. And so we need to see here that it is God's sovereign choice when it comes to prayer. And a really helpful passage for us to see this actually at work in a very real moment of God's choice when it comes to our prayers is in Exodus 32. And that was on the back of our reading. And you might like to turn there now. Let me set the scene. Uh, Israel has been rescued by God out of slavery in Egypt. A uh, huge moment of God displaying his power over even false gods, let alone the mighty kingdom of Egypt, the ten plagues you might be familiar with, then the rescue through the Red Sea, and all of it is so that he can bring his people, this people chosen out of all the nations on the earth, God says, you're mine, and I'm your God. 
They are chosen. And so that they know how to live with the one true God of the universe as their God in their midst. He gives them the Ten Commandments, the first two being really important at this point. Uh, Do not have any other gods but me and do not make an idol. The God who's just done all these incredible things to rescue them is the one true God and he cannot be contained into a form or an idol. But while Moses is chatting with God up on the mountain, getting to know God to then be able to reveal him more to his people, what do the people do? It's DIY God time. And it's just so to hear that reading again of Aaron the priest caving in to the desire of people to contain God and make him conform to their will, God sees it. And he is rightfully angry. Look with me at chapter 32, verse 9. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. How on earth did they think God wasn't going to see? He's up on a mountain. (laughs) Um, But God not just sees what they do, he sees their hearts. They are stiff-necked, which means it's a way of expressing they will not bow to God. And the Lord said to Moses, Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. God has proclaimed the judgment that is just and what they deserve. And then he adds to Moses, and look, I'll just get rid of them and I'll start again with you. Because he can. He doesn't need these people. Well, Moses... He won't leave God. He won't leave him alone. And we read there in verse 11, Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. That's a long way of saying he prayed. What we're seeing here in Exodus 32 is the exchange of God proclaiming his word and then Moses responding in prayer. This is how we're going to see how it works. In fact, Moses will go on to call on God to turn from his anger and to relent. Why? Why should God do this? Well, firstly, Moses says, your reputation, God. You've just rescued these people. Don't let the nations laugh at you or bring down your glory because of them. You are the God who rescued them. They weren't worth it when you rescued them the first time. Be glorified in this as you were. Your grace in their rescue, your grace now Guard your glory. But also, he says, you made promises, God, and you are a faithful God. Now, it's really important that we don't understand or read this the wrong way. It is not Moses. We're not seeing that what Moses does and we need to remind God about things as if he's forgotten. Getting a bit old. Let me help you remember. It's also not that God needed or that Moses actually is forcing God well God you've boxed yourself into a corner you said this you've done this you've got no choice that's not what is happening here and the third thing we shouldn't see is that Moses is somehow calming God down uh, if those of you who have seen the Avengers movie series will know uh, that Hulk, the big green monster, uh, you know, that they, they develop ways to calm him down. The sun's coming down low, buddy. 
you know, the calm, the big grit. Moses is not doing that with God. And he doesn't need a PR guy. No, what we're seeing here is an insight from God into God's own justice and mercy and how our prayers are included in that. God has deliberately given us this, these scriptures to see this at work. So as Moses prays to him, we then read in verse 14, Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. When you see the word relented, you might think, see, God does change his mind. But no, we actually need to understand what the word relented means in the Bible and in this context. The, the word relent in the Bible can mean move to compassion, to, to suffer grief because of another. So God relents from his answer, uh, from his anger. Moses asked, relent God, turn, have compassion. Be true to yourself. And he does. See, what we're actually seeing here is not that God changes. If God had changed, then he would have been unfaithful to his promises and the plans that he has made. No, in fact, by answering or including Moses' pleas in his, prayer, in, in his plans, God is being faithful. He said, I'm going to make these people into a great nation. And using Moses' request, he is faithful to it. He has protected his glory in answering those prayers. It's God's purpose. He has not changed. In fact, he has been faithful. As we see how God used Moses' prayers to bring about his purposes. And this is no small thing. Lives are in the balance here. And God has chosen to move Moses to pray out of his love for God and his love for the people. He is genuinely praying. And God has prompted him so that he will use those prayers to save and to glorify himself. God is the power in prayer because he has chosen to use our prayers. Prayer changes lives. I think it's a little bit like when a parent might choose to bring their child in and to let them help them cook whatever it is, a meal, cookies, cupcakes, doesn't matter. The parent doesn't need the child. In fact, things might be a lot less messy, uh, certainly a lot quicker, and maybe a bit normal in their shape on the other side, but it's still real. It's still real help, it's still a real contribution, and it's still real food at the end. This is not pretend. This is not when the dad says, I'm going to go mow, and the little boy is there with the pretend mower. No, it's real because God, like a parent choosing to bring their child into the cooking, God has chosen to use our prayer to change lives. That's the head. But we can't stop there. We need to then move to what is the significance? How does that shape our prayers? God's choice to use our prayers is to bring about his purposes, God's purposes. 
That's the heart. In fact, we'll see that prayer is to unite our will with God's will. Jesus shows us this. Again, in another very powerful passage and moment where Jesus, on the night before his own death, prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you can follow that in that second reading from Mark. And there we see Jesus on his knees, praying. If ever we doubt that prayer is real and important, let's look to Jesus. Again, the stakes are huge. This is not only his own life. This is the salvation of humanity and Jesus prays. Verse 36, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. You're sovereign. You're in control. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. He prayed that not just once and not just twice, but three times. Why? Why did Jesus feel that he needed to pray that three times? Have you wondered that? I don't think it's because he did, was thought God might not be listening or that he had to wear him down. Three times Jesus asked his father to change the plan because it's such a horrific death. But it's not just about the death. It's also that from the first time in eternity, the son would experience the anger of his father that wasn't even deserved. It was to take the anger that we deserve because of our sin. Take that cup, that cup of judgment, if there's another way. Prayer cannot be pointless if Jesus is praying. But that's not all he says, is it? He doesn't just keep saying, take it away, take it away, take it away. Then he says, yet not what I will, but your will be done, or but what you will. Three times Jesus submits. Three times he says, make my will your will. Bring my will in line with yours, Father. And as we read then in John 17, after this moment, Jesus said this, he looked up toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Jesus' will has been brought in line with his Father's, and that is the will for his Son to die. Why? So that as his son is glorified, ultimately his own father is glorified. We in prayer are being brought into line with God's purposes, but it's a challenging prayer, isn't it? A challenging prayer to say, your will be done. That's what Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer very familiar to us. We've probably prayed it many times. But let's stop and think about just the significance of saying that. I had to do this really probably for the first big time um, when our son Nathaniel was born. Uh, within a month, we had found out that he was born with a spinal cord condition, that without an operation, he would likely, 50% chance he'd end up in a wheelchair. Even with the operation, there was going to be likely compl complications. And so I remember, I still remember it now, sitting there and just 
launching into the Lord's Prayer as I had done that night, as all the nights before, and I got to these words, your will be done, and I stopped. And I almost struggled to, to finish the sentence because it hit me. Do I really want God's will? Don't I want my will? I know what's good for him. I know all my hopes and dreams for my newborn son. Why not my will? God, in that moment of searching, helped me to understand that actually I had no control over that, but also I really didn't know what actually would be the very best thing from, for him. I might think I do. But in that moment, I understood that to pray your will be done is to take away my uncertainty and to be able to have the assurance of trusting a God who is all-wise, all-loving and all-gracious. That I could actually say, your will be done. Now, we might need to pray that three times. We might need to pray it 30 or 300 times. But that is so that our prayers can come in line with God's purpose or his will, ultimately for his glory. Because God's choosing to use our prayers to bring about his purposes and he wants us to be in line with them in our heart. It's so important that we know how prayer works, isn't it? But it's not just about the head or the heart, it's so what are we going to do now? What do we do with our hands? Well, God, we've seen, chooses to use. God uses our prayers to change our world and to change lives. Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Why would he do that if prayer didn't actually have power to do that? God's using our prayers to bring about his kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. To bring God's victory into our lives, that victory over sin, and to bring about that life to the full that we can begin now and experience ultimately in heaven. To use that prayer, your kingdom comes. It's those three words to bring salvation to people who are dead, but instead can be made alive with Christ. That's why Jesus also taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So go and set up recruitment stations. No. So ask the Lord of the harvest. Pray to God. He will hear and act on your prayers to bring about the kingdom. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Prayer changes our world. Prayer changes lives for eternity. That's how prayer works. How God chooses to use our prayers to bring about his purposes. How can we not pray at that point? Well, it's important for us to know that if we don't, God's will, his purpose will come about. He will just look to other Christians. He will use the prayers of other churches and we will miss out then and, and even into the future. 
if we continue not to pray. Let's not miss out. Let's be Christians. Let's be a church that God uses our prayers. Every week we have one prayer meeting with a small group of faithful members every Friday. Let's see that grow. Let's have more than one prayer meeting. If we are totally convinced that God is using our prayers to change our world and people's lives, let's get together and pray. We had last year two days of prayer and we will have them again this year. Instead of a small group of people, when we know how prayer works, let's see all of us together through those days coming together to see God use our prayers to bring about his kingdom. When we gather in prayer in our growth groups, let's make it not just about the things going on in our world, but to see God change our world and people's lives. Because we cannot ourselves make people alive with Christ. No, but with prayer. And God using our prayers. We will see people made alive with Christ in our homes, in the highlands, in our gatherings, and as we take the gospel to the world. Because prayer changes lives. This is how prayer works. God chooses to use our prayers to bring about his eternal purposes. Let's pray. Almighty and gracious God, through the power of the gospel, we pray that you would help us to be alive with Christ in our homes and the highlands, in all of our gatherings, and as we take the gospel to the world so that your grace is made known and your kingdom is grown. Amen. We're going to have a song now, and uh, that's a good opportunity if you want to think about any questions. Um, we're doing the Slido thing again, so on the back of the sermon outline there's that QR. You might like to load that up if you haven't already. But you can also put your comments or questions from the floor as well. Let's stand and sing together.